Christine. Good morning, everyone. It is great to be with you this morning as we continue uh, Pastor Andrew's series called Turning Points. Uh, This is a series where Andrew has asked some of the church leadership and the elders and pastors to, rather than preaching, to really uh, consider or reflect on a character from the Bible uh, that in some way we can relate to some of their experiences or part of their journey as a means to opening up to you guys and sharing a bit of our own stories or our own testimonies, if you like. So this morning, literally, anyone doing this Turning Point series could choose anyone in the Bible because anyone that encounters God has a turning point in their life. But for Kathy's newsletter, I've put in the name Jacob, so we'll stick with him today. Let me pray, and then we'll have a small look at some of Jacob's experiences. Oh God, thank you so much for who you are and all you've so graciously done for us. Thank you for the freedom we have to gather here this morning. And God, we just pray expectantly that you, through your Holy Spirit, through um, dedication, celebration of life, through worship, uh, in giving, in prayer, in song, um, through just fellowship with one another, Lord, we just pray that uh, every aspect of this service enables us to encounter you and consider where we're at with you. And Lord, just continue through your Holy Spirit to teach us more of who you are, more of who we are, more of how uh, offensive sin is towards you and our great need for a saviour that you've already so graciously provided for us in your beautiful son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right, Jacob, uh, we're talking Genesis Jacob, Old Testament, deceiver Jacob, that Jacob this morning. Um, and when it comes to Jacob, uh, he grew up in a Jewish household that, on a whole, honoured God. He had parents that honoured God. Later on, he would experience supernatural dreams given to him by God. There was prophecy spoken over him. Um, In Genesis 25, we see uh, God speak to his mother, Rebecca, before he was even born, while he was still in the womb, uh, some of God's grand plans that he has for Jacob. Uh, So Jacob grew up in a somewhat Christian household, if you will, where God was always part of the picture. Jacob knew a lot about God. But I want to suggest this morning that it wasn't until later on in his life when he experiences a couple of clear turning points that he actually came to know God personally. You see, there's a big difference between knowing a lot about someone and actually knowing someone. I love my cricket and I'll share a bit about that as this morning goes on. Uh, but I know a lot about certain players, especially the part, well, my glory days, the Shane Warne, Ricky Bonning, Matthew Hayden, all of them. Uh, I could rattle off a bunch of stats and facts and figures and, and talk to you about specific cricket players, especially Ricky Bonning. Uh, but the fact is, while I can talk as if I know him, reality is I don't know him. He doesn't know that Paul Bremner exists on this planet. Uh, I simply know about him. I don't know him, and there's a huge difference there. I want to suggest that earlier on in Jacob's life that this is where he's at in his relationship with God, that he knew a lot about God, but he didn't really know him in a personal way where he actually dictated how Jacob lived his life. I say this because when you truly believe something, that usually influences the things you do and how you act, and it should dictate the way we live. 
For instance, for many people in their lives, when they truly believe promises that God has given them, they live that way. They live as though they believe that God will actually do the things He's promised to do. And that's how it should be, right? I mean, to me, that's what faith is. Faith is believing that God is who He says He is and that He will do the things He says He will do. God's promises as something that should dictate how we view our lives. And if we believe them, we should trust that God will be the one to fulfil them. We don't have to step in and manipulate certain circumstances to make God's word come true. God's covenantal blessings and his promises are gifts to be received. They're not things to be grasped at and to be exploited and to be taken into our own hands. It doesn't... I'm not saying that we don't participate in that. But this didn't sit well with Jacob in his temperament, who, at least when he's younger, he has lived plenty of his life being driven by a passion to just go out and get whatever it is that he wants. In Genesis 25, we read how Jacob completely manipulates and exploits his brother Esau. He's come in from a hunting trip, he's hungry. Jacob uh, manipulates him into selling off his birthright so that he can take it from his brother. In Genesis 27, we see Rebekah, his mother, and Jacob execute their plan that they've come up with to essentially put on a costume and trick their father Isaac, who's hard, uh, uh, who's struggling with sight, into blessing Jacob as the firstborn rather than his older brother Esau so that he can steal the blessing away from his brother because he wants it. Earlier... God had spoken to Rebecca and said, it is the older brother who will serve the younger brother. But rather than trusting in God to fulfill this promise, Rebecca and Jacob take matters into their own hand. And to me, this doesn't actually sound like someone that's trusting God all that much at the time. And this stealing of the birthright and the blessing, it spawns a huge sibling rivalry where Jacob is forced to flee from his homeland in Canaan because he knows that Esau's going to murder him for what he's done. And that's what he does. He flees. And he runs. And so for the next around 20 years or so, he continues to live in a pretty similar way to what he always has. Rather than ultimately trusting in God, though he shows glimpses, but rather than ultimately trusting in God, Jacob lives driven by a deep passion to just go out and get whatever he wants. And he does to some extent. He, he searches for love and, as we'll see, he comes back with a couple of wives and kids. One wife that he uh, marries by accident after what must have been an extremely big night out on the drink and he didn't realise that he was marrying the woman he didn't intend to. Seven years later, the deceiver who gets deceived himself gets to marry Rachel, the actual woman who he wanted to marry in the first place. Uh, he seeks out a fortune. And he gets that. Plenty of wealth, servants, livestock, you name it. J- Jacob, someone gets it. But again, not ultimately by honouring God. This time, Jacob rips off his uncle's business, and he's now got a brother and an uncle that uh, at some point want to literally kill this man. And so again, he's forced to run and flee from this conflict. And this is Jacob's pattern early on in his life. Live with no regard to his faith in God or for anyone else. Instead, be driven by his own passion to just get whatever it is he wants. Cause conflict and destruction in in his wake. 
and then be forced to run away to try and avoid the consequences that he probably deserves and then start the cycle again. And it's this time, while he's out on the run, that God interjects and stops him from running. While he's fleeing Laban, God interjects and calls Jacob to return to his home in Canaan. Now, Jacob knows this is a bad idea. He knows that Esau's there, and so far, for all he knows, Esau still wants to just murder him for what's going on. But he doesn't have too many options, and God has promised to be with him as he returns. Anyway, surely it's been around 20 years since he first fled, so surely Esau has lightened up a bit and forgiven some of the sins committed earlier on. Well, Jacob soon finds out. He, he, in this case, he, he trusts God to an extent, and he does start returning home to Canaan. Uh, and as he approaches, he sends everything he has ahead of him. He, he, he sends a bunch of gifts with some messengers. Uh, he sends um, women, he sends servants, he sends livestock, he sends monetary gifts ahead to Esau because he wants Esau to know that he is returning in peace, that he, Jacob is not returning with any thought to try and lay claim to the blessing that he stole from Esau originally. However, when the messengers return to Jacob, they say, hey, good news, Esau is actually going to give you time of day, Esau is coming out to meet you, uh, but the thing is he's bringing 400 other men with him. Suddenly, this doesn't seem like such a great welcoming home story for Jacob. It doesn't have the feel to it of the reunion in the prodigal son story that Dennis touched on last week. In Jacob's mind, he's a dead man walking right now. But he's come too far to back out. So in a way, he just accepts what's going on. To do that, though, he separates him from everyone else. Uh, to create distance between the approaching Esau and himself, he sends his family, everything he has, ahead to meet Esau before him. And Jacob is sort of left at the back of the line, alone, by himself, in a complete and utter mess. For Jacob, who seemingly had it all at times, he got the blessing he was after, he got the birthright, he got the wives, the kids, the career, the wealth. There was plenty of time where it seemed like Jacob's life was flying. But not now. Now it's come crashing down in a sharp halt, and he is a dead man. In Genesis 32, this is where we find Jacob alone at the back of this line, waiting for his approaching brother to get to him and to find out inevitably what is going to happen. And this is where we see Jacob in the pitch black of night, all alone, in a complete mess as he desperately fears for his life. And if matters couldn't get any worse, it's right now that out of nowhere a man jumps him and starts wrestling him all through the night to the break of day. I'm sorry I don't have the passage for you on the screen, but if you have a device or a Bible, I'd love you to open with me to Genesis 32, and we'll look at verses 24 through to 32. Genesis 32, 24. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. 
When the man saw that he did not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Jacob, with his life completely spiralled out of control at his most desperate moment, alone fearing for his life, this is when God graciously comes to meet him, right in the middle of his mess. Even though it's in the form of a wrestling match and God forces Jacob to wrestle all through the night, the guy who has always run to escape all of his problems, well, he can no longer run. God doesn't let him run in this instance. God wants Jacob to experience and learn something here. And for me, this is a clear turning point in Jacob's life. He had known years of conflict and struggling with almost everyone he comes in contact with. But Jacob had also been in conflict and had been struggling in his relationship with God. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there now. And in the midst of all of his mess, Jacob, having walked away from God lived by his own care, his own devices. In the midst of this, God is a loving father who loves Jacob graciously, comes and meets him in his most desperate state. For me, this is truly where Jacob goes from knowing not just about God, but knowing him personally. God didn't meet Jacob when he had it all together, but when he was at his wit's end, God graciously stepped in and met him in a life-saving way. And that, personally, was my experience for a turning point too, like I'm sure it is many of us. I, like Jacob, grew up in a family who, I praise God, they loved God, they honoured God. My parents um, had a relationship with Jesus and in our home, a relationship with Jesus was both modelled and um, encouraged. I was taken to Sunday school, a blast every week, I was at church, any youth activities, anything Christian, my parents had me there. And just like Jacob, I, I grew up knowing a lot about Jesus Christ, but I didn't actually know him personally. Jesus wasn't influential in my life at all, he was simply someone I knew some stats and facts about. I could quickly Research a verse, like recite a Bible verse quicker than the kid next to me to earn a lolly in Sunday school. But I didn't actually care about Jesus. I wasn't in a relationship with him. He didn't influence how I lived my life other than taking away my Sunday mornings from playing cricket. I didn't care about him at that time. Instead, I was off pursuing my own goals my own desires, my own passions, and mainly that at the time of playing cricket. 
Uh, when I was younger, every kid has a childhood dream. Some kids want to be nurses, doctors, vets, astronauts. I, I wanted to play cricket. That was my goal. And during uh, under-14 season, I was just playing for the local cricket club, Croydon Cricket Club at the time, uh, and my parents got approached and I was asked to go and try out for the junior Victorian cricket team. And I was pumped. I was so excited because to me, this was everything. This was everything I'd always wanted. This was the next step in where I had to go to get what I was seeking for. And I was pumped. Uh, but long story short, with 30 kids left and one more cut to be made for this particular tournament, uh, I felt drastically sick in the week leading up to that tournament, uh, into the um, tryout. A couple of nerves in my head. Uh, I don't know what happened. They, they short-circuited in some way, which to those of you that know me a bit better than others, that might make a lot more sense now. Uh, but they short-circuited in some way. Uh, and it caused me to lose sight in my left eye for a time and, and be diagnosed with chronic fatigue. So throughout the rest of that year, I was in year nine at the time, however old you are in year nine, um, throughout the rest of that year and all of the next year of schooling, well, I wasn't allowed at school. I did year 10 at home via distance education, uh, and I was at specialist five days a week trying to work out what was going on. Now, throughout this time, just like Jacob, I was surrounded by friends and family uh, that continued to tell me that, hey, Paul, Jesus is with you. Jesus cares about you. Jesus loves you. But oh, I wasn't having any of that. I had decided that if Jesus even exists, he cannot love me and he doesn't care about me because he's taken away the one thing that matters to me in life. Jump forward another 12 months, I'm able to start going back to school. I had to work out gradually to doing full days, start going until recess, then lunch, then doing full days by the end of the year. Uh, but I didn't want to go to my fast school. I didn't want to go back to where I was and be hit with, oh, where have you been? What's going on? All, all of that. And my family had moved house. Me and my dad simply walked past a school we didn't know was there and said, all right, dad, let's just try this one. Um, but I didn't enjoy it. I, I, I loved the school. But to start off with, my life suddenly looks different. I'm still going to specialists trying to work out what's going on. Still got chronic fatigue and not much energy. I'm not allowed to play cricket. And now I'm in a place where I've got no mates, no friends initially. And I started feeling like if, if this is what my life is going to be like, I can't do any of the things I love, I don't have friends, I can't work out what's going on. I started to feel like if this is what my life's going to be like, then I'm not interested in hanging around for that. Now, I'm aware kids are in it, I'll stay kid-friendly, but I made a decision that if this is what life is going to be like, well, I'm going to escape that. And if you can relate, oh, just let us stop for a second, if you can relate to any of these themes I'm alluding to, I'd love to chat to you after the service, or please chat to someone around you, because there's some amazing organisations in Beyond Blue and Helpline Australia, and we'd want to get you in touch with some amazing professionals that can help you in that state of mind. But I'd made this decision to escape. And on this particular day that I decided to do something about it, this, now being a Christian, it's not that strange, but the strangest thing happened to me. At school, this girl called Sam, Samantha, I didn't know her name at the time, um, didn't know anything about her at the time. But this girl just came up to me two weeks into a brand new school really awkwardly and said, hey, I, 
I don't know your name, I don't know what year you're in, and I know this is so super weird. But the God I believe in just told me I've got to give this to you today. And she gave me a note, and I took out the note and read it, and it said, Jesus will never let you go through anything that you can't handle. I'll never forget that. It said, Jesus will never let you go through anything that you can't handle. Now, this blew me away. I'm two weeks into a brand new school. I don't know what year level this girl's in. Oh, I don't know her name. She knows nothing about me. Yet immediately a light bulb goes on and I realise that Jesus Christ is using this girl to show me that he loves me, that he cares about me, even when, and especially when, I don't recognise it. Because I did not recognise it at the time. For me, that was a clear turning point in my life where a light bulb flicked on and I went from simply knowing about who Jesus was to actually knowing him personally. And while today I still love my cricket, I'm a lot more unfit than I used to be and feeling the effects of yesterday, but it's no longer what dictates my life. Rather, my relationship with Jesus Christ is clearly the most important thing in my life. And not just that, but having the ability to share with others that, hey, Jesus doesn't just love Paul, uh, he loves each and every person in the universe, even if they don't recognise it. Just like Jacob, for me, God graciously stepped in when I had walked away from him, when I did not have a relationship with him, when I was not interested in him. And I was in a mess. And he does that because Jesus is for everyone. And he wants us to know him, not just to know about him. Jesus is not just for those that seemingly have it all together or for those that get to some level of spiritual maturity. Whether you've been around Christian circles for 50 plus years or whether this is your first time hearing about Jesus Christ in some form, Jesus loves you and he wants to know you personally. And the band can come up, I'm, I'm finishing. And so you might be sitting here this morning, and I don't know what different contexts you're sitting in right now, but you might be sitting here and feel like your life is a mess like you've spiralled out of control and that you are so far away from God right now that you might even feel ashamed about that, like God's not even interested in you. Well, I believe that's the reason you're here and I'm speaking on this same day. I'm simply here to encourage you this morning that like the story of Jacob, Jesus loves you and he wants to graciously, lovingly meet you exactly where you're at in the middle of whatever circumstances, in the middle of whatever context you find yourself in. Jesus doesn't want you to simply know his name. He wants to be involved in your life. And he wants to save your life. My prayer is that we'll be open to letting him do that. Let me pray. Dear God, thank you so much for who you are and all you've so graciously done for us. Thank you that we can freely gather here and unite around our love for you. And God, thank you that you are Honestly, for everyone, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter how far we might have walked away from you or no matter how much of a mess we feel our life might or might not be in right now. Uh, God, no mess is too big for you. You just want us to turn to you. You don't expect us to be perfect. You just want us to be open to having a relationship with you. And we praise you so much for that. Amen. Thanks, Christine.